Season two of the Protectors. Excellent guest today, Max. You know him from the White Donkey, Terminal Lance, and a million other things. And now his graphics are on a AR-15 magazine, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> so, uh, Max, welcome to the show, man. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, pleasure to be here. I enlisted in the uh, United States Marine Corps uh, when I was 19, um, and this was in 2006. Uh, so I, it, it was very uh, kind of right angle for me to go into the Marine Corps. I don't think anyone in my family was expecting me to uh, go and do that, but um, I was an artist and I, you know, I wanted to go to art school. I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to do pretty much exactly what I'm doing now, but um, I felt like I needed to kind of, I, I felt like I needed to go away for a while and come back. I needed to go experience some shit and come back, you know, sorry, pardon my language. I don't know what hey, the we, rating we is can, on the show. You could, uh, <laughs> you could swear all you want. <laughs> How can you have a Marine on here without swearing? Come on. Exactly. I felt like I needed to go away and come back and uh, experience some stuff and, and come back and um, give my work some uh, breadth of worldliness or whatever it was I was trying to find or get out of that. Um, so the war in Iraq was going on, and uh, I was of the right age at 19 and uh, gender, and um, so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna kind of drop everything and go join the Marine Corps. Like I'm gonna go join Marine Corps Infantry. Uh, you know, I scored very high on all the tests, and um, I think I got like a 92 <laughs> on the ASVAB test. Um, and like a 131 GT or whatever. I, I don't remember all the things, but, um, you know, and so I, I it was funny because I took the, the, the ASVAB and I came back to my recruiter's office and uh, he's like, boy, you did, you did awesome, man. You can do like anything you want. What do you want to do? And I'm like, infantry. And he was like, are you sure? Because you don't have to. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, that's like the whole, whole reason I'm enlisting. Uh, so yeah, I went infantry. Um, and uh, I got stationed, I became an 0351 Infantry Assaultman, uh, which is no longer an MOS in the Marine Corps, just recently got axed. Um, and I think there's still some floating around right now, but um, it's officially no longer an MOS. I don't think they're accepting any new uh, people. But um, yeah, so I, I was a 51. I got assigned to 3rd Battalion, 3rd Marines, uh, India Company out of Hawaii. Uh, so from 06 to 2010, I was uh, based out of Hawaii, and I went to Iraq the first time in uh, 2007, uh, where I served in the Zaidan region uh, of Al-Anbar, um, over by Fallujah, and uh, based out of Camp Fallujah. And then the second time I went was in 09, and we were based out of Al-Assad, which was the uh, uh, big you know, Camp Cupcake, as they called it. Um, and... <laughs> I um, I had an interesting career path in the Marine Corps because I, I didn't stay uh, infantry like most people would for the whole four years. I I mean, my MOS stayed infantry, but I ended up getting plucked away and put into the uh, combat camera shop huh. during my second deployment. So I, I acted as a combat photographer slash combat artist uh, in out of Al-Assad. So, yeah. And then I got out in 2010. Uh, and I had started Terminal Lance um, while I was still active duty and uh, used that GI Bill to go to animation school. So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, Max, you get out of the Marines, and the next thing you know, you're, you're going to college. I know that transition is tough. I don't know what it's like post-war um, to go into a, a secondary educational institute. I went pre and post, but not like – a younger gentleman. What was that like? And any advice you want to give out to anybody out there? Yeah. Um, so my transition into college was uh, a lot of fun because I went to art school, which uh, it's like, it's sort of like real college, but not really. And um, so I went to a private art college in the Bay Area, California College of the Arts uh, for animation. And um, they have a great animation department. 
Uh, they have a lot of guys from Pixar that come from Emeryville, yeah. uh, and they, they drive into Oakland and teach on campus. Um, so I studied under a lot of really great Pixar animators and directors and, and stuff. Um, so it was great. And uh, I remember one of the first days of class, um, I had this like sculpture class that I was in. It's like they call it 3D, but it, it, by 3D, they mean like it's sculpture stuff, like you're building mm -hmm. stuff uh, by hand. And um, the first day is sort of like a team building thing. Uh, they had these cups of like dye on the table and there's a bunch of butcher paper put out on the table and they gave everybody a straw and they had everybody at the tables put their straw in the cup and blow bubbles and then the bubbles would pour out over the cup and stain the butcher paper. Uh, and so this was sort of like uh, an art piece that we were making with all these people and all the sort of random butcher paper bubble art um, that we had no control over. And um, it was cool. It was fun. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, man, like not even not even a year ago, I was in Iraq. And here I am now blowing <laughs> bubbles on the butcher paper. Like, mm -hmm. this is, it was just such a weird moment for me. I was taken aback by myself. Um, but, you know, art is something that I've always, you know, wanted to pursue. And, um, you know, the GI Bill was so uh, great for me to be able to, to do that because I grew up really poor. So there's no way I would have been able to afford a private art school in the Bay Area uh, without the GI Bill. So, um, yeah, it was it was a tough transition a little bit. I think, you know, like every marine especially infantry like i just you know i was writing my dumb poems about the war and like you know just sort of like decompressing and and uh putting that out um in all of the work that i was doing at school that was art related and stuff um which i'm sure a lot of marines can relate to if they go down that path Transitioning from the military is tough and you always get that the CO or whoever gives you the speech while trying to dissuade you, telling you to re-enlist. Oh, yeah. And I remember mine telling me, he's like, doing the numbers, he's like, um, he actually pulled out a real calculator. He must have had this thing down to a, a science and he's like, you're not going to be able to live out there. And I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to take the step and do it myself anyway. And you know what? You can. For anybody out there, you can. The GI yeah. Bill, incredible. There's so many other things you could you could do to get assistance. If you want to do it, do it. Yeah, yeah I feel like walk in the park. That's for sure. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I also feel like the marine, the military. And I, I keep I always refer to the Marine Corps because you know I was a marine, yeah. but the military as a whole. I mean, I, I feel like they really shot themselves in the foot by even having the post 9/11 GI Bill as a benefit. <laughs> you know, because it's like who wants to reenlist when you could get out and go uh, do literally anything else? Literally uh, anything else. <laughs> literally anything else, and get paid for it while you're while you're doing that training. It's it's a beautiful thing. Oh, you know, give it to them. Give it to them. Hey, you know what? We earned it. And I always tell people that too. It's like, you earned it. Use it. Use it exactly. for anything yeah. else. It's hard though. Sometimes, you know, you run into complications. Like if like the first six months I was in school, I didn't get paid by the GI Bill. And so I had like planned certain things and, you know, like not being able to afford rent uh, sucks, you know? And I think a lot of veterans end up, you know, either maybe quitting too early on school mm -hmm. because of just the you know, it's a different type of arena, so to speak. And there's little things that you necessarily didn't have to do maybe while you were in the Marine Corps or your job field or whatever. So that can, all those little things add up and they can be pretty overwhelming, but like yourself, Max, when you take advantage of something, like, you know, that this is a great benefit. You're like, you know, uh, you take advantage of it and you see doors of opportunity and you kind of let the little things pass and look at the big picture. I mean, it's in incredibly beneficial and awesome for your career like you're saying like you the way that you grew up and where you are now that's amazing yeah and i you know I've, of course uh i gained a lot from my marine corps experience yeah. um, i didn't do very well I, I actually was going to college before i enlisted um and I, I didn't do great in school i didn't do great in high school didn't do great in college before i enlisted but for some reason after i got out of the marine corps and i was in college it was the easiest fucking thing in the yeah. world to just be like you just do what they tell you to do i've been doing that for four years i'm great at that like that's 
I'm amazing at this. Like, and I'm getting straight A's. Like, all you do is you just do the dumb assignment. And then you see these kids showing up. And they're like, oh, I didn't do uh-huh. it. And they're making these excuses. And you're like, man, I'm so ahead of this curve right now. <laughs> yeah. And you're at least, most of the time, five years or 10 years older than me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another thing you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you experience a lot of, you, you grow a lot in the military. You get a lot of life in the military, which I think yes. is uh, very beneficial to a lot of people. Um, you meet different people too. That's the biggest thing. He's like, oh, yeah. you know, I grew up in a small town next to the Appalachian Mountains. We had like 5,000 people, 94 people graduated my, my senior class. And I'm one of those guys who did the same thing. I, but I went to the community college and had like a, a massive GPA of like 1.47 before I went <laughs> the army or something like that. But you learn. I mean, regardless of how long you're serving for, I mean, you go active duty reserves or whatever. It's the people you meet there. And just that memories. And you need that. I think you need life experience in order to make good yeah. content. And that's where it comes down to is content, um, whether that's content in your life or whatever. But for you, it's art. And that's one thing I want to talk about with Terminal Lance before we get into the new book. Is using your experience to become one of the, or I should say, one of the most popular um, animators within the military um and even outside of the military i would like to say anyone that's a marine knows um you know what this brand is like this is a staple in the marine corps like you have been responsible for and that goes into my neck i want to ask you so many questions Uh, so yeah terminal lance was um you know i started terminal lance back when i was active duty still and um you know it was i love the story of of starting terminal lance because it's like it was such a gamble back then you know like i think we we take it for granted now 10 years later because it's like oh you know this social media stuff there's all these military meme pages tiktok boots and shit and it's like there's so many actually i, I don't know if that one's still around i think that one got shut down recently they, they come and go they, there's like an yeah. ebb and flow to the the military social media scene it, it's kind of always a little rough but um but yeah, so there's those things are all there now, and it's all very easy to be like, oh yeah, Terminal Lance is just you know another one of those things, and it's like, but it's not. There was nothing like Terminal Lance before yeah. Terminal Lance. I mean that <laughs> it paved the way for what we have now, which is the the whole kind of counterculture of the military social media stuff, where um, we're really challenging and critiquing and and uh, putting a, a real vision of the military out. Whereas like when I was enlisted, the only thing that was there was stuff like Semper Tunes and stuff where it's like very, nothing against Gunny Wolf, he's a, he's a nice dude. Um, <laughs> that it's all very just like pro Marine Corps. It's very yeah. like, it's it toes the line, you know, it's very like, you know, this is what the government wants you to say about the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. I looked at the landscape and stuff like that. I was looking at those things and um, funny enough, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, the very same desk that Gunny Wolf created Semper Tunes at, I actually was my desk at the combat camera shop in Hawaii. Um, don't say. <laughs> uh, in, this, in this time frame. And, uh, but yeah, I, I looked at the landscape of stuff and I was thinking, um, you know, I, I, everybody, every Lance Corporal that I knew and myself, we all fucking hated it. Like we were all like, man, this sucks. Like this is like yes. the worst day every day <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't fun and i'm like why is no one talking about this like why is no one talking about just how miserable we all are uh and how much we don't want to be here nobody wants to be here like <laughs> um so that was sort of the guiding light of terminal lance was that everything sucks and no one wants to be here and um so I that, that. <laughs> tapping into that reality uh and that truth of the Marine Corps experience, I think is what made it so popular. It was like Marines seeing that and going, wow, he's right. Now why is no one else talking about this? It does suck. And I don't want to be here. Like this sucks. Um, so it's that shared misery. Uh, it, it's embraced the suck together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, one of my senior corporals uh, when I was in, he, he once said that the Marine Corps, the, the common enemy of the Marines is not the enemy we fight out there. It's actually the Marine Corps. And they do that on purpose. They they make the Marine Corps the enemy so that the Marines build cohesion with each other. So it's like you're always trying to fight the green weenie together. Like you're just surviving the Marine Corps, really. Like that's what your infantry experience is going to be about. Um, 
And so that that spirit was really what I wanted to capture with Terminal Lance and uh, and put out. And ten years later, it's still gone. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, it is, yeah. And it's it's definitely shifted and changed a lot. And even in the last like um, let's say three months, uh, it's shifted um, to instead of doing the blog posts and the comic strip and stuff. Now I do, um, you know, just organic posts on Instagram and Facebook and whatever. But they're just the it's just a comic with like a small caption. And I think that's just like kind of just the nature of internet humor and stuff, mm -hmm. just sort of adapting to that and trying to like keep it uh, modern. Um, so it doesn't feel like this outdated thing to like have to go to a website and read a comic yeah. strip and like, it's just not what people do anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, Terminal Ants has adapted and overcome as Marines do uh, <laughs> to the times. And um, it's been able to stay on top of, of that whole scene just by, you know, uh, staying relevant with the Marines, um, the active duty Marine Corps culture. So one of my things for you is I didn't know, I was excited to hear you put all these pieces together and I didn't know that you did um, what your job in Hawaii, you said you were in the communications field when you were there? Uh, so I was infantry. Um, and then after my second deployment, I actually got officially moved over to, well, I fapped over to the combat camera shop. Uh, wow. So I was with, uh, uh, what is it called? Comstrat is what they call it now. The whole field of uh, PAO and CompCam is called Comstrat now. But um, back then it was combat camera. So I was with the combat photographers. Um, at the uh, ComCam shop in Hawaii. Well, that's incredible. As you know, for someone, an infantry background, uh, that's a total different field. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I tried to, um, I actually tried to lat move. So my recruiter, uh, you know, we all love our recruiters. They, he told me when I enlisted, hey, go infantry. Don't worry about it. After two years, you can change your MOS. That's what he told me. And I was like, okay, you know, so two oh. years into my enlistment, I'm like, hey, I've been a grunt for two years. Uh, you know, I really want a lat move. I want to try to change my MOS to combat camera. So um, I, it, this, I took it to my, my, platoon, my platoon commander, went up to the company commander. I got all the way up to the battalion commander sitting in front of the battalion commander for him to tell me no. <laughs> Just be like, no, sorry, you're a 51, you're a squad leader, like we can't, we can't lose you. Uh, sorry, dude. And I'm like, okay, well, that sucks. So um, then we had a change of command of our battalion commander and, you know, word got around that I really enjoyed this sort of work, this combat camera, photography, graphics, that kind of stuff. Um, so then my new battalion commander uh, literally came up to me himself, like in the field. Um, we were at uh, Mojave Viper and uh, he just came up to me and he's all like, hey, you know, I heard you, so Lieutenant Colonel comes up to this Lance Corporal and he's like, hey, I heard you, you know, you really like doing this uh, photography and graphics and stuff. Would you like to, we're putting together a new uh, information operations section of our S3. Um, would you like to be part of that? And I was like, okay, sure, you know, like, of course. So that's actually how it started was he, they were putting together an, an IO information operations thing for this deployment to Iraq we were doing, um, where we were going to, you know, propaganda and hand out pamphlets and that kind of stuff. So they sent me to information operations training, which is learning all about, it's basically marketing, you know, it's, it's a marketing course for our military. Um, you're marketing to the local population, how the Marines are great and the Taliban's evil or whatever, Al Qaeda in our case. Mm -hmm. And um, so that, you know, that was a whole course series that I went through. And then uh, I was officially attached uh, with the S3. My MOS never changed from 0351. Um, but during my whole second deployment, I was uh, operating as a combat photographer slash artist. Yeah, I think that's incredible because that's two completely contrasting uh, <laughs> MOSs. And it makes sense now in terms of Terminal Lance and the brand and how this, this birth, your birth child came about. And it's still going and it's a staple, you know what I mean? And I just really want to congratulate you for all the things that you've done and also creating that basically that sense of camaraderie online that's a really hard thing to do and environment wise and um, I think you've done a great job of it and you've really hold held true throughout the years oh, um, thank you it open to totally different you know lifestyles like a 03 and a communications perspective is a totally different usually a totally different type of person yeah um, so it's cool
I'm sure you, like at some point you had some type of haters or somebody trying to stop you or say, hey, this is not because they didn't want me to go to the ball with Justin. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'll make the Marine Corps look good, you guys. And that was one thing. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you've been just like through the ringer. So can you talk about that um, perspective yeah. or any in insight that you have? Yeah. Um, so it was, it was super... Uh, it was scary at first when I first put Terminal Lance out because I was still active duty. Like I could have got railroaded very easily by anyone that wanted to. But I was in a tricky situation. I was fapped over to the ComCam shop at this point. So this was after my second deployment. And um, I was on my way out. So I, was, I only had six months left. So I fapped over to the ComCam shop officially. And um, I wasn't under the command of my command of my old infantry command and you know it was like who who is max what does he do he's sort of like this free agent sort of just floating around the marine corps at this point for my last six months and um i so i put up the strip i, I started putting it out i remember in the early days i was literally walking around the barracks putting business cards terminal lance business cards in the in the barracks like card readers and stuff uh, <laughs> the hustle and i put flyers up at the gym at the the laundry rooms in the barracks like it was yeah very groundswell kind of thing and um uh, so the marine times did a story on it they caught wind of it and um, prior to this, I was getting maybe like a thousand hits a day on my website on terminallance.com. And um, Marine Corps Time Story drops, and it's like Terminal Lance, this crazy new thing. Oh my God, webcomic and stuff. It's just skewers the Marine Corps and all this. Uh, great story. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, it just blew up like exponentially. I was getting 100,000 hits a day, just like it was like, whoa, this is insane. Um, so it blew up at that point, and I was still active duty. And I remember getting this phone call. Uh, I was working at ComCam, and it was my old company XO with the infantry company, who I was not under anymore. And he's all like, hey there, Max. Uh, everybody called me Max because nobody could pronounce my last name. He's like, hey there, Max. Uh, you got to come back to the company office. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm like, sir, I'm not, uh, you know, he's a, a first lieutenant. I'm like, sir, I'm not like, you know, I'm not with India company anymore. I'm not under your command anymore. And he's like, yeah, but uh, you got to come back uh, over to the company office. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, okay. So, you know, I tell, uh, I tell the gunny or the, I think it was chief warrant officer. I was under at ComCam. I was like, tell him, Hey, I got to go check in with, you know, my old XO. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but I can assume what it's about, you know, <laughs> and uh, so um, this is like the day after the Marine Time story had dropped, by the way. So uh, I go to the old company office and um, I go, there's a master sergeant there, Master Sergeant Marquardt, and he's just like a super real dude, just like a, a, he's a grunt just through and through, just like a chill guy if, you know, you're in that world and like, uh, I always loved that guy. He was just one of those, just a straight talker, kind of like no bullshit kind of guy and uh, heavy like Boston accent too. And, and so he's like, I'm like, he's like, check in with Master Sergeant Marquand. I'm like, okay. So I go over to Master Sergeant and I'm like, hey, Master Sergeant, what's going on? And he's like, ah, I think you know what it's about. And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. He's like, I got to take you over to battalion or I got to take you over to regiment. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I go over to regiment uh, with the Master Sergeant and so it's just, Lance Corporal and a Master Sergeant walking over to the, the, the 3rd Regiment uh, Command, and uh, we got to go talk to the Regimental Sergeant Major. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, do you know what it's about, Master Sergeant? He's like, I think you know what it's about. <laughs> and uh, so we go in there, and it's like super, like, they never tell you, you know, they got to keep you, they got to keep the fear of God in you. They never yeah. tell you exactly what it's about, you know, whether you're in trouble or you're not. Uh, so you don't know, you know. So we get there, and Sergeant Major's not there yet. He's out PTing. So then he comes back. We're there for like 15 minutes. He comes running in in his, his PT gear, and uh, he's all like, oh, hey, come on in, Lance Corporal. Come on in. And uh, so I'm like, okay, this is weird. So I go into this like big regimental Sergeant Major office with this giant EGA carpet on the ground, and uh, he sits me down at his desk. He's all like, oh, have a seat. And I'm like, he's like, you want some water? And I'm like, I just want to know why I'm here. Like, this is really <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, there's no good reason for a Lance Corporal to be at the Regimental Sergeant Major's office. You know what I mean? Um, so he's all like, hey, so, you know, we heard about this whole Terminal Lance thing, obviously. And, uh, you know, we just want to make sure that, um, 
you're going by the book and you're not doing anything that's against any Marine Corps orders or, you know, whatever, uh, we want you to go check in with the base JAG just to make sure that everything's like kosher and good. And I'm like, okay, you know, that that's reasonable. I'm like, all right, cool. And he's like, and someone spray painted a Lance Corporal Chevron yesterday on a dumpster behind the chow hall. If you know anything about that and we find out about it, we're going to fuck you so hard. <laughs> I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> I don't know anything about that. <laughs> just, I truly don't. I don't know anything about the Lance Corporal Chevron someone spray painted on the chow hall dumpster. Uh, but that was sort of it. That was it. That was it. Um, and uh, yeah, so then I, I went, I made an appointment with the base JAG. I talked to him and, you know, figured out uh, uh, kind of if I, I, I just, you know, got some legal advice from him about whether or not terminal lines is okay against right. any military orders against UCMJ or anything like that. And he was like, you should be good as long as you don't like call out anybody by name or anything or like do anything dumb. And I'm like, yeah. okay, you know, sounds reasonable. Uh, so I just kept doing it and no one, no one stopped me. And, um, I think that today, if someone did the exact same thing, the Marine Corps would never let it happen. Like I think terminal ants happened, it got out the gate and they couldn't do anything about it or they, they waited too long or they just, they, they let it go. And it, it got, it snowballed so much bigger than they could control that, um, they would never let that shit happen today. <laughs> uh. How do you source your content? Like a lot of the stuff you put up is super funny. Like, do people send you a lot of stuff? Like, how does that, has that evolved? Well, um, so I don't like, I don't take, I don't take unsolicited like ideas. I don't like, people don't send me strip ideas, but what people do send me every day is uh, videos and photos of whatever the hell is going on in the Marine Corps that day. You right. know, so I get like a hundred DMs every day of just stuff. I probably see more of the Marine Corps than anybody else on the planet. <laughs> um, and it's a weird position to be in, but the Marines just send me stuff and they just, they, they want to get it posted on Terminal Lance. They want to show it to me. Like they just, they just keep me in the loop. They just send me all kinds of random stuff. Um, and so that's sort of, that's my inspiration of the Lance Corporals, you know, it's them, they send me to shit and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just that contrasted with uh, my own experience, how I know the Marine Corps works and, uh, you know, surmising that this would be a funny thing and these situations and stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's really just comedy writing 101 at, uh, at in the, the context of a military um marine corps environment with lance corporals so um as long as i stay true to the the active duty lance corporal uh that's all i care about you know and so you know there's been a lot of like um a lot of attempts over the years by different parties from uh you know the more uh crazy like jtots kind of stuff where they're they're doing the misogynist stuff and like just all kinds yeah. of dumb stuff and then there's the attempts by the marine corps uh you know, on a more um, official level where it's like, hey, maybe you can post stuff that's not super risque. And I'm like, no, <laughs> as long as I stay in my lane, I do what I, what Terminal Ants does and I do the way that I think it should be done. It's always gone decent enough for me <laughs> and the brand and, um, you know, stayed true to that uh, vision that um, could have very easily been shifted uh, off course. And I, and that's, you know, I, I could talk all day about Terminal Ants, but like, you know, over the years, I've seen it so many times, these brands that come out, these, and I won't even call them brands, they're just like meme pages or whatever, like your JTOTs and shit that no longer exist. And this, this is like an ongoing thing. And I, I've seen it so many times where they come out, they start posting funny stuff, and then they get a little taste of power, they get a bunch of fans, and then mm -hmm. they just start going down this path of just dumbness. Um, and so very early on, I decided I was just not going to officially interact with them on any level with Terminal Lance and Terminal Lance just says what Terminal Lance does. You either watch it and enjoy it for what it is, or you, I, I was going to say you fuck off, but, or you just don't, <laughs> you know, like that's, and that's just how I look at it. I just, um, I just try to keep it true to my vision of what I think Terminal Lance should be. You mentioned Terminal Lance comedy. That's kind of like your 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 go to, your background, your niche. But I read Battleborn, your new one, and it 
you, you know, there are some funny spots in there and those spots are more of like, you know, the, the rapport and the, and the shit talking between, you know, Marines, but it's not really a comedy and it's not, it's something very deep and it really, it's a really touching story. And me, for my backstory, I've, I've, I grew up with comic books. I grew up with graphic novels. I grew up reading uh, some of your inspirational, the book and the comics of Conan. Um, so when I read this, I was like, you're bringing me back. And, but you're also telling an incredible story, man. This is, this is not what I expected when I started reading it. Absolutely not. But the artwork in there is like I've never seen before. And Kelsey, I'm going to send you a copy, but I really do have to commend you. Let's talk about it and why. I mean, I could kind of tell picking up on your bits and pieces of your stories, winning the hearts and minds. But tell us about how you came up with this. Um, yeah, so Battleborn uh, Lapis Lazuli is um, my new book, and uh, very excited about it. It's uh, 352 pages, um, full color, um, and it the book itself is a beast. I mean, it weighs three pounds. It's just like this giant thing. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so Battleborn, it started... Um, so I, my first book, The White Donkey, uh, you mentioned it's, you know, it, this book, Battleborn's not a comedy. The White Donkey also was not a comedy. There are, you know, funny situations that happen just in the natural banter of Marines. And that's something I always try to capture because that's, that's one of my favorite parts of the military experience is those interactions between uh, Marines. Um, and uh, so I always try to, to capture that in there. I, it's kind of impossible for me to write anything, whether it's a drama. I just finished a horror script. But even that, you know, there's little bits of just, you know, beautiful interaction with people um, that I'm really inspired by all the time. And so comedy always works its way in. But um, yeah, Battleborn really started uh, while I was writing The White Donkey, or actually while I was drawing The White Donkey, which is a whole process in itself. Um, then I, I just had this idea of um, sort of a modern reinterpretation of Conan the Barbarian. And my goal was really to kind of create a new, like, superheroic character for the Marine Corps or just as a Marine uh, in a military context. Like, what would, what is Conan? the barbarian and how would I like retell that today like what would Conan be in a modern sense he'd be a, a marine warrior uh in the mountains you know like I, I don't know I wanted to have this sort of like uh mystical magical realism uh aura around this book and the story um to sort of channel that energy and um so that I started coming up with the character of King uh as this uh, sort of just monolithic like uh guy who um it was stoic and, and just sort of this very different thing than the characters in the white donkey like abe who was really a stand-in for me uh in that story and um very opposite character you know i wanted someone who was very internally emotional uh and passionate and um but didn't wear it on the outside like it's everything that king goes through he goes through very like he feels it so deeply um so that was really the the driving force behind the character of King was I wanted to create somebody that just, he was driven by passion in this like uh, emotion. And um, so I started writing the, the uh, Battleborn series. This is before I came up with Lapis Lazuli, just Battleborn in general as an IP um, started as a series of short stories. And I'm a huge fan of, when I bring up Conan the Barbarian, I'm actually talking about I'm kind of talking about all of it, but I, I love, I was a huge fan of um, the original Robert E. Howard uh, literature of Conan, which is the, uh, where Conan originates from in the 1930s. Um, it was these short stories that he had put in these like uh, pulp magazines. They were just like fantasy pulp magazines. Um, and that's where Conan comes from, just these short stories. There's no actual full length story of Conan the Barbarian. Uh, that was created by the original creator. Um, they were all short stories. And um, I, I love those stories. I have, I have the books and I just, you know, I, I love that whole, they're just so visceral and like just the whole theme of the civilized and the savage and, and these sort of things that interwove uh, within those stories were, was really um, intriguing and inspiring to me in a lot of ways. Um, and so I wanted to bring those themes and that sort of feel to a modern 
thing. Uh, and so I was like, what's a modern version of like a short story? And so I was writing uh, short films. I was going to do like live action short films of Battleborn. Um, so the first scene I actually wrote as a, its own standalone short film was actually the one in the story uh, where they go into the farmhouse, uh, where they get ambushed at the farmhouse and there's a child in the basement and stuff, which I don't want to give away spoilers, but that's um, the whole thing in the story. And uh, that was, that I actually had written that one scene as like a standalone thing that I wanted to do. And I was just going to do like a series of these standalone uh, kind of vignettes into, into King's story. Um, and then, so the white donkey came out um, that, so the white donkey came out and I wanted to do these short films, but um, I'm in LA and I'm doing the Hollywood thing now. And like, it's just uh, getting anything off the ground in this town is just so difficult, you yeah. know, <laughs> no matter how small it is. And um, so it just, it was logistically very difficult for me to get that off the ground as that was. So um, my publisher was like, Hey, you know, we, you know, we would love uh, another military graphic novel like you you know the white donkey did really well let's follow it up like let's do another um so i started thinking of uh battleborn as as like a feature-length story what, what did i want to do with this um and the original vision for it i just you know i i knew i wanted to do something in the mountains in the snow and um i kept the way i write is very visual like i, I just see it. it i see it in front of me and i don't even know what it means at first but i just know those are like the shots that i want and like that's where it needs to go and i don't know anything about the story but i know that's how i'm gonna get there i'm gonna get there at some point so the vision was king and the snow and the, with the scarf and like just this whole thing and um so I was like looking at, uh, which is a very big contrast from the white donkey, which is in Iraq in the desert. And um, I was looking at regions that the Marine Corps could be operating in uh, that took place in the mountains and the snow. Um, so I was looking at Afghanistan, uh, of course. Um, I was like, you know, this would be an interesting story in Afghanistan. So I looked at regions in Afghanistan that were mountainous and snowy and all of that, um, where the story could take place. And I came across Badakhshan province, which is, um, you know, essentially untouched by the U.S. military uh, throughout the entirety of the war. I mean, most Marines and military have been operating in Helmand and, um, you know, not really dealing with Badakhshan. And but it's it's the it's the most northern northeast sort of mountainous uh, rough region of Afghanistan. And when I was doing research into it, I came across Lapis Lazuli and the conflict going on there with the Taliban right now. And so the background of the story in Battleborn is happening in real life. I mean, this whole, uh, the Taliban have recently moved up into that area uh, within the last few years. It, it had been pretty much untouched by the war um, for the last 20 years until the last few years. Taliban moves up in there. There's a big gemstone trade, mostly Lapis Lazuli, but other gemstones as well. Um, Taliban moves in there and they take over the entire gemstone trade illegally and up to, uh, I think it's a, a third of the Taliban's annual revenue comes from illegal gemstone trade in Badakhshan province, um, which is something that no one was really talking about. I'd never really seen anyone. I, I came across like one New York Times article about it um, and some other just smaller articles that were talking about it. And I thought it was super fascinating. And the other thing was Lapis Lazuli. I came across that name and I was like, where do I recognize that from? Uh, you know, is this something that like it stuck in my head? And I remembered from my my art degree uh, being, you know, having gone to art school uh, that they used to grind up Lapis Lazuli as pigment to put into uh, ultramarine or the, the color for like oil paints and watercolors and things like that, which I thought was a fun pun, by the way, ultramarine. And um, <laughs> so I, I, I recognized it and I was like, this is really cool. So um, that really became the basis of the story um, of Battleborn Lapis Lazuli was this whole conflict going on with the Taliban around the gemstone trade and um, I thought it was fascinating. I wanted to see, um, I, I just, I, I felt like this book could help draw attention to that, which is a real thing going on, but I am a creative fiction writer. So I like to, you know, add my own stuff into it. And um, the Conan stuff comes in where uh, the whole theme of the story is really the civilized and what does it mean to be civilized is, is sort of the pervasive theme of this uh, story. And 
um, that was something that kind of carried over from the Conan the Barbarian stuff, because that was a question that constantly gets asked in the Robert E. Howard Conan stuff is what does it mean to be civilized and is that an inherent virtue is that even a good thing in the context of what the civilized world has brought us um versus what and i, I use the term savage in an academic sense but i mean um you know native uh you know what what like the british would consider uncivilized peoples um and so i as i researched afghanistan i came uh you know i, I became very saddened actually by um the, the history of Afghanistan and how it has essentially been a colonial pawn of the British and Americans for the last, you know, 200 years that the British have been constantly, uh, there were three Anglo-Afghan wars uh, between the British and Afghanistan. And it's basically just the British, Americans and Russia fighting over this beautiful piece of land uh, over regional control. And um, it's just been kind of this colonial pawn um throughout history and i found that very sad because it's such a beautiful majestic land um and i was very struck by that quality of the the kind of like magical realism of it as i looked at you know photos of it and like stories of people that have been there and everything um so i just became very fascinated by the whole thing and, and it really formed the basis of battleborn and and uh, it all kind of came out of that i'm, I'm still blown away by because i actually read it today it's you can read it i'm one of those guys like you throw a graphic novel in front of me i'm going to like just absorb it as quick as possible um i loved it i absolutely loved it and the ending was not a typical ending i liked it a lot and your protagonist is realistic and i like how you put a little mystery in her because it seems like you can continue his story and i'd love for his story to be continued by the way so. Yeah, I that's uh that's the the I don't want to say anything. Okay, yeah, okay. I can't, I can't say anything. <laughs> but there is a plan for that. Um and uh there's also a lot of uh stuff going on with um this story and continuing it on and and uh, I there's a lot in the works, but okay. uh, I can't talk too much about it. But the ending of Battleborn here which um is a spoiler. I don't know if you want to get into spoilers on this podcast. No, nah, we won't get um, into a spoiler. Yeah, I won't I won't I don't want to spoil it cuz it's a very uh you know, I this ending the way that I write um like I said it's like a vision that comes to me and um the ending was the first thing that I saw and I was like how do I get there? Mm -hmm. You know, this was a very emotional ending, and um, I knew I needed to get there. Like, this needed to build up to that moment. And, uh, you know, I wanted to – the ending is bold. It's very um, – the ending is, like, 45 I, pages long. <laughs> listen, I, like, I, 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 like I said before, I've read a million books. Um, I'm 47 years old. I've probably read a million pages of something along the lines. And I've never seen an ending – drawn like that before i think that is so incredible and there's a there was a couple pages in the beginning too where it was like how you if you look at it and the artwork is absolutely incredible when you look at it it's like one page is like clear and the next page it's it's not clear it's kind of it's it's very cool i love it i love <laughs> how you did that stuff and i'm just I, i'm just really impressed very not Thank that you. hey you know what i'm just a dumb infantry guy so i'm just like hey you know <laughs> it's awesome man it's awesome one of the things that bothered me about the white donkey uh after it was finished and i was looking back at it was the um i felt like the pages were too crowded there was just like there wasn't enough space um so i really wanted to give this this book room to breathe um a lot of space i wanted this to be a very visual story because king's mm -hmm. not a talkative character um so it really needed to reflect that it's like a, you needed to feel the emotion of king without him saying anything um so this needed to be a very visual story from start to finish so uh one of the things we did in the artwork of the book was get rid of gutter space and this is something that's kind of like um it's kind of like a comic book no-no that i'm sure some comic purists will be like oh you gotta have the gutter space because someone once said that you need gutter space and mm -hmm. um which is i don't necessarily disagree with um but I, I did some experiments. I was like, let me try doing the pages with no gutter and full bleed artwork to the edge of the page on every single page. So as you read this book, as you flip through it, it's like you're just surrounded by color and just image. Um, and I just, I loved it. I don't know. It felt like it added to this really epic feel to the book that um, not, 
that that was not in the white donkey the sort of mystical epicness to battleborn that was not in there um yeah so it, it was the, the artwork was a, a lot of work uh <laughs> i think it took me about a year to draw and illustrate mm -hmm. um and uh, i colored it also so i did all the color did all the uh did all the stuff <laughs> did all the everything on this book <laughs> So Max, like you're saying that you're basic, basically like in your books, what you've been able to do is your creative background, your graphic design background, along with your experience and living are like all coming together into one kind of place. And I think that's extremely um, interesting, especially from a Marine's perspective, because a lot of times I feel like, um, or a veteran's perspective, a lot of times I feel like it's hard for um, people in our community to express words or, um, or feelings for our emotions or things that we've gone through and things like that. Have you ever found yourself, what's your take on that? And have you ever found yourself like wanting to talk to other veterans about it? Or is that what you do through Terminal Lance? I mean, I think that's, uh, like you said, I mean, that's, that's what I do through Terminal Lance is like, I, for me, I think Terminal Lance um, and my other work has been a cathartic in a way. I mean, it's like, I experienced the crazy experience of being in the Marine Corps infantry and going to Iraq and like, um, and so for me to do terminal lands, to be able to look back on it and decompress it and laugh at it and examine it um, was really important for me as I was putting it up for other people to laugh at too. And um, with stuff like the white donkey with Battleborn, um, you know, what I'm essentially trying to do, especially with the white donkey, but um, what I, what I really wanted to do with that book was sort of take my Marine Corps experience, fictionalize it um, so that I can really get to the bottom of what it meant. And that's, that's really important for me uh, to really distill that and come to examine it myself and be like, what did this mean? Like, what did I take away from this whole experience? And I think that's, um, that's kind of the existential crisis that I think a lot of veterans find themselves in when they get out. You look at veteran suicide rates and things like that. Um, is what did it mean? Like, what was the point of all of that stuff? And sometimes there is no point. But um, with the white donkey, that was really what I wanted to get at: was what did all of this mean? And um, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, uh, they they asked me if Battleborn's fictional and stuff, and I'm like, of course it is. You know, that's that's what I do. I that's sort of my mo is to um, distill and and to like think on things and like put it into a narrative that um, can really get to the bottom of the meaning of the stuff that I'm trying to say. Um, whereas like sometimes the reality doesn't put it up front <laughs> very well. So I like to add depth and meaning to, to kind of everything that I do. Um, and for me, like the visuals, the writing, the drawing it, the, the being a creation, uh, being the creator of every aspect of it is very important to me too, just as an artist. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of comics are made uh, by a group of people where it's like, oh, you got the writer and then you got the artist and then you got the inker and you got the you got the colorist and all that. Um, but I think it's really important for creators uh, to really create the whole thing, because that to me, I disagree with the idea of separating the writer from the director or read the writer from the artist. Like, I think that those two things need to kind of like go hand in hand with each other because they the vision maintains its purity that way and as soon as you take out one you take that person out of any element of it um you kind of dilute that vision um so yeah that's sort of why i'm very uh obsessive and weird about my work and i need to do like every inch of it but <laughs> yeah last question well, statement question. Okay, so I saw your wife, Rachel, is beautiful. And what you've been able to accomplish with your, after the Marine Corps, your education and your book writing and, and what you're doing now still with Terminal Lance. Um, like, what is it, what do you hold strong to? Like, what's your foundation of like every day that keeps you going um, so that somebody, you know, can say, well, Max did it. I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, my wife is very beautiful. She's over here, actually. Um, she's she's the best. I love her. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that like as a creator, as an artist, and I, you know, people have titles, right? Everybody's got a title. You know, someone's a, a director of something or or a lance corporal or whatever. Um, I've done a lot of things in my life. I've done, you know, I'm a I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I'm uh, a cartoonist. I'm an illustrator. I'm a writer. I'm a, whatever you want to come up with, whatever title you can give me. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of them. But I think the only title that really describes me is artist. And to me, um, and I, I think people get that misinterpreted to mean like, oh, visual artists, like you draw stuff, which is true. Also, I do do that also, but it's it's a more all-encompassing term for me. Um, I, I personally feel like uh, artists will create, they'll be compelled to create, and there's nothing you can do to stop them. You know what I mean? Like that's, if you have that, if that's your calling in life, like if that's what you're going to do, um, you're going to do it, whether anyone sees it or not, whether anyone cares, um, you're just going to do it. You're just going to do it anyway. And me, um, to a fault, probably, I spend a lot of time tinkering and a lot of time making things that no one will ever see, I'm sure. Uh, but I just, I can't stop, you know, like I, I can't stop. I really can't. And I just, I need to be making stuff like all the time. I need to be coming up with new ideas and stories and, and putting it out there. And so my driving force is just a, a compulsion to need to create things and to keep putting stories out. And um, that's just who I am. And that's, that's all I am, honestly. <laughs> Beautifully said. Thank you. Max, I really appreciate you coming on today, man. This was incredibly eye-opening especially your process and how you became you know not just the creator of terminal lance but you've gone on to do so much more man uh, thank you thank you so much jason for for having me or should i call you doctor doctor, doctor no <laughs> just just <laughs> former specialist of the e4 mafia jason piccolo <laughs> I love your name, by the way, Piccolo. I'm a big Dragon Ball Z fan. So, um. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sure, you get that all the time. But uh, yeah. <laughs> no, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, I'm really excited about Battleborn, and uh, you know, I hope that people read it. I hope they enjoy it. And um, yeah, uh, there's there's going to be a lot more uh, where that came from. So stay tuned. I, I appreciate it, Max. This episode brought to you by Combat Flags. www combatflags.com. Use promo code PROTECTORS for 10% off.